Good evening. It is Sunday, the 13th of June uh, 2021. This is live at five. And my name is Richard. I'm one of the leaders at Kingfisher Church. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. Um, very, very well known verses. Uh, they say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. A wonderful great foundational verses um and with those in mind let's let, let's pray as we come to consider our portion of proverbs this evening towards the other end of the book our god in heaven please help us now please god would you help us to trust you with all our heart not lean on our own understanding our father i pray that you'd help us help me as i speak help us as we look at your word would you use your word to draw from us create within us a deeper trust in you, and a more wholehearted trust um, that we might not lean on our own understanding, but might rest fully upon you. Now, please help as I ask. Amen. Well, my friends, uh, we are dying. Now, all of us sooner or later are going to meet our end. Uh, and because of that, how should we live? Now, how should we go about our time, the time that we have in this life? Now, not just the kind of big decisions we make, but just everyday, ordinary moments. How should we do it? How should we go about it? Now, just the, the kind of standard routines, managing life's practicalities. Now, as we organise the home or maybe we've got to do some shopping or taking out the rubbish washing up getting dressed just just ordinary stuff that makes up our everyday how do we go about it how do we do the ordinary in light of the inevitable and i've really enjoyed our journey through the book of proverbs thank you for bearing with me and we've been here for quite a long time um but today we come to proverbs chapter 30 and and here we meet i think probably one of my favorite characters in all the bible we meet here a guy who's called Agur. Uh, let's have a look, shall we? Uh, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 to 9. Here we go. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacker, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I'm only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Agar, here he is. He gives us um, a testimony and a prayer. Um, but who is he? Who is Agar? 
Well, the book of Proverbs is a compilation of wisdom sayings and mostly, mostly the, the wisdom sayings of a man called Solomon, the king of Israel, David's son. Um, but also in the book of Proverbs, there are kind of um, uh, guest appearances from certain other wisdom writers. And in Proverbs 30, we get the contribution of this man called Agur, and we know nothing about him. Uh, his name implies that he comes from outside of the community of Israel, um, but we're not too certain. But what, what we have from Agur is, is really something quite unique among ancient wisdom writings. Uh, it, there is something about Agur that is quite out of place. And, and that out of placeness, I think, makes him very useful to us. You, you see, the book of Proverbs, so much of the book of Proverbs is, is just lists of sayings. And, and, and it can be easy, I think, for us to misuse this um, wisdom literature. Um, so much of what we see in the book of Proverbs is, is the same as what we find in other ancient wisdom cultures. Uh, some of it has been borrowed from those cultures and put into the book of Proverbs. And, and that can be all quite unsettling for us as we try to read it, try to make sense of it. It can be unsettling unless we commit ourselves to not letting the parts get separated from the whole. The, a, a grain of wheat uh, is not the same as a loaf of bread. So that, that wheat has to be ground and prepared with water and with yeast in order for it to become a meal. Uh, and it's the same with Proverbs. Uh, each individual saying is not the same as the meal. Now, we've thought about that a number of times as we've gone through it. But Agar, Agar helps us because th there's a sense in which as we get to this point in Proverbs, and we really are right at the end now of Proverbs, um, Agar gives us a kind of response to the whole wisdom project. You can kind of imagine it, it being that this, this guy, Agar, um, gets given some of these wisdom writings and he spends years with them, wrestling with them, studying them, trying to put them into practice. And the initial conclusion he comes to is not very positive. He says it in verse three, he says, I have not learned wisdom. That's That's a pretty negative conclusion, having worked with the material that is available in the book of proverbs you see, see somebody can pick at the wisdom of the proverbs and, and learn maybe interesting tips interesting observations for life but at the end of the day they get to a point where they've not really learned wisdom now agar begins there but agar is just a brilliant guide because what he's doing as he begins there is sharing for us his personal testimony and his testimony helps us to ensure that we don't miss the wood for the trees uh, another thing about Agar, uh, if you see in verse seven, he says, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Agar is a dying man. Uh, and the testimony he gives and the prayer that he prays is that of a dying man. And and, I, and, and what he does, he, he gives just an immensely practical perspective on how we might live in the ordinariness of life under the shadow of our own death is very useful for us so come with me into this as i say our passage has um, agar's testimony verses one to six and his prayer verses seven to nine testimony and prayer now as i was um preparing this um on friday and um, i spent some time preparing and, and i got to a point where my mind got a bit foggy so I, I thought I'd go out for a run just to try and clear my mind a bit. And, and as I was on my run, I was praying through some of the things that I'd seen in this passage uh, and particularly some of the applications. Um, and 
to be honest, so many things came to mind. I think so many things that the Lord put into my mind as I went on that run. And the result was I got back and I thought it's probably worth us not rushing things with agar. Um, so we're going to take kind of two goes at this passage. And this week we will focus on Agar's testimony. And next time we will look at Agar's prayer. It's really a part one and a part two. Um, but we're going to focus on verses one to six today. Agar's testimony. How do you know? That's, that's the question. It's a vital question, isn't it? How can we know anything? And we do. We, we know stuff. Uh, enough to kind of act at least upon things that we think we know but how do we know when, when we peel it back when we look at, at knowledge where what what is it where does it come from this is agar's quest look at verse one it introduces him the sayings of agar son of jacka an inspired utterance this man's utterance to ithiel i am weary god but I can prevail. Agar is worn out. That's his opening line. Worn out, but not finished. He's speaking to God, but he says, I am weary. Now, trying to make sense of life is burdensome. Now, any, anybody who says it's not just hasn't really tried to do it. Uh, life is complicated. Our personal lives are convoluted and trying to understand who we are and what our place is and what, what's the what's the world all about and what is meaning and what is purpose and that's hard it's a hard task agar recognizes it is hard but he's not hopeless he says i can prevail weary but i can prevail and the, the hope that he expresses there begins to blossom as he as he tracks through his own personal journey to knowing now this is agar's testimony and he takes uh, five steps on his path to knowledge Let's let's follow his steps. His first step comes in verses two and three. Look with me. Surely I'm only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Agur's first step. Do you see what he does? He begins with himself. I, 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 over and over again. And this, this, this opening really is his confession that he has failed to work it out by himself. You see, he says, I haven't managed to reach understanding. On my own, I'm no better than the animals. I'm a brute beast. Sorry about that. A little interruption from my son. Um, Agar is a brute beast now um do you see how this flies really in the face of what is around us today um, all, all around us we are told you can do it uh, you you can draw from your internal resources um, and it, it's all really up to you it's all up to you it's all on you but lots of people operate on the idea that you now i know things because i've worked it out for myself people people kind of operate on this understanding that if the answers are there they must come from here they must come from within unaided human reason or maybe a bit more today unaided human intuition what i feel from within that's where true knowing comes from 
Do you know where that journey leads to? Unaided human intuition, unaided human reason. What it ends up with is psychological burnout. No wonder Aga says, I'm wearied. He's tried to figure out life and meaning and he comes to the conclusion that he knows nothing. That's his first step. It's a confession that he cannot work it out by himself. Now, before we go to step two, that there are already hints here of the destination. See how verse two and three kind of work together. Verse two begins with Aga saying that he is he's unhuman, really less than human. He's a he's more like a beast than a man. That's where verse two begins. Then verse three ends with Aga pointing to this absence he has absence of knowledge of the holy one i'm not a man i don't know the holy one the implication is to be truly human comes from knowing god and then verse three i've not learned wisdom nor have i attained to the knowledge of the holy one a comparison here in this verse between wisdom and knowledge of the holy one See, what, what he's showing, even in his confession of his lack, is that true wisdom is found in knowing God. And, and, and knowing God is what is needed to know yourself. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, begins his magisterial um, institutes uh, with a brilliant discussion on knowledge. But the first thing he writes is he says nearly all wisdom consists in two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of man. And then he wrestles with, with, with where he should begin his exploration. And he says, that if we start with ourselves, we can't really do it properly without immediately turning to think about God, because everything about ourselves comes from God. And, and everything we, we lack within ourselves, the only answer for it is to be found in God. We can't think about ourselves without thinking about God. Aga's first step stands firmly on the foundation that was laid right at the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, the answer to Agur's quest is embedded in his first step. It's embedded in his confession that he has failed. And then he moves on, step two, come to verse four. Now, verse four contains six questions. Four of them are who questions, two of them are what questions. Step two is the who questions. Look with me. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Who? Who? Now, if, if we are to, to truly know, we need to get access to knowledge. Who has that? Who is it who has gone up to heaven and come down to teach us heavenly mysteries? Who uh, can hold the elements at their disposal and control the universe? Who is the responsible for the existence of everything? Who is it? Well, the first answer has to be not you, nor me. Human knowledge is limited, isn't it? If you were to kind of draw a circle that represented everything that could be known all knowledge and then you were to mark in that circle how much you how much knowledge you have you to color in this is all knowledge and i'm going to color in the part that i know could you make a mark small enough now all learning leads to an awareness of how much more there is yet to know 
you know, if you think about what you know being a circle, what you know being a circle, and the circumference of that circle being what you know that you don't know, the more you learn as the circle grows bigger, the circumference grows as well. Now, how do we avoid the conclusion as we begin to think about these things that unless you know everything, you can't really be certain of anything? Unless you have all knowledge, then what you claim to know is fragile. And I think in some ways, this is really where our society is today. If we can't arrive at truth by unaided human reason, we can be sure of nothing. There are no absolutes. That's what people say, isn't it? There are no absolute. There's no ultimate truth. So everything gets reduced to relativism. That is, everything becomes, um, none of us knows. So we have to accept that everybody is free to believe what is whatever they like. Everyone has their own truth. There's multiple truths, and those truths are personal. And nobody has the right to challenge somebody's personal truth. It's, it's their truth. Who are you to say anything otherwise? And the path to knowing has a first step. We confess we cannot work it out by ourselves. The second, we confess we don't know everything, so we can be sure of nothing. In some ways, these are quite obvious steps, aren't they? Of course, we don't know everything. Uh, but then why are we sure about anything? No, or or the, the people who live in society, why, why do they live as if they do have a meaning? No, no, what are people basing the truth on which they are so passionate, about which they're so passionate? People defend truth so passionately, but why? What's the basis for it? How, how is it people get so excited about causes? How do they know it's right? The purpose of existence, how to conduct yourself moment to moment. People live like it, but what's the basis when you go into the foundations? What is there? Now, surely when you start to ask questions like these in verse four, any foundation begins to get dissolved. Because who are you? You don't know everything. There's no real knowing when all you have is to rely on yourself. Step three. Still in verse four. Verse four continues with two what questions. What is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. What is his name? The answer to those questions, those who questions. What is his name? Surely you know. It's the great question in the history of Israel. Way, way back in the exodus at the birth of the nation. And when God sends Moses and Moses, he sends Moses to the people and Moses says, what if they ask me, what is his name? What is his name? And the answer there in Exodus three, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you God who is I am absolutely is. He's not becoming. He is maximal and full. He is. He does what he does. He wills what he wills. God who has no beginning and no end. God who needs nothing. God is perfectly and abundantly complete in himself. And everything else in existence comes from him. Everything else needs him to exist. I am who I am. Proverbs 3 says he laid the foundations of the earth and he set the heavens in their place 
God contains in himself all knowledge. What is his name? His name is the Lord. And if we don't do with him, we don't do at all. The Lord is without comparison, the most important reality in everything. John Piper writes this. He writes this God, the I am, the great I am should dominate our consciousness more than anything else. When we look at our watches, we should be aware of the amazing fact that this watch is dependent on God. When we let our eye scan the galaxies at night, we should be glad that they have been flicked out with God's little finger. And they're totally dependent for every millisecond of their existence on his thought. Nothing's more important, he says. Nothing. But when you go to bed, when you dream, when you wake, when you yawn. When you go about your life, everything, that there's nothing you deal with that will come close to the great I am in importance and relevance and glory and power and significance. What is his name? I am who I am. That's his name. Now, this path to knowing, the first step, we confess we cannot work it out by ourselves. Step two, we confess we don't know everything so we can be sure of nothing. Step three. We confess that the one who does know all things is the Lord. He alone speaks with authority. He has all knowledge. What is his name? Surely you know. I am who I am. Then step four. Now here, Agar really drops a bombshell. His second what question in verse four. And what is the name of his son that the whole book of proverbs is set in the context of educating a son parents involved in preparing their son for life that the son in proverbs is the object of loving instruction what is his name okay he's the lord he's god he's almighty what is the name of his son no, see, back in the book of Exodus, after the Lord has declared to Moses, I am who I am. He sends Moses to Pharaoh with these instructions in Exodus 4. Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go. What is the name of his son? And the old Greek translation of Proverbs asks, who are his children his son is the nation of israel his chosen people those he loves and cares for those he carefully instructs and guides do you see why this is such a bombshell aga comes with this problem of knowing how can he know it's a it's a problem that still challenges philosophers today it's a problem that often like kind of hauntingly lies in the background to so many in so many human hearts. There's so much anxiety and angst grows from this gnawing uncertainty about everything. But what Agar does, he takes this problem of knowing that it's a human crisis. How can we know? And he reshapes it into a question of relationship. What is his name or what is the name of his son? How can we know anything? How can we know when we haven't got it within us to work it out? How can we know when we haven't been to the university of heaven to understand everything? How can we know when we are not God? And the question of knowing is not about who is most clever. It's not about who's managed to work it out. The answer is found in how someone relates to the Lord. 
And my friends, this is Proverbs 101. The fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge. Think of that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what, what do we know if we lack the fear of the Lord? We can't even begin to know. We only can wear ourselves out. If we don't know God as a fear, we don't know him. We don't really know anything else. All true knowing comes back to how we relate to the Lord. So what is the name of his son? So the answer is about relationship. Well, what does that mean for us? Now, most of us are not uh, natives of, of Israel. We're not that son in a sense. Although neither was Agar, and he was not deterred by this. You see, the whole history of Israel reached a point of climax and fulfillment when a single human was born. And at his birth, it was declared, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He will be called the son of God. And all that history of Israel was recapitulated in that one life, that one life called out of Egypt, passing through the waters, tested in the wilderness, finally exiled at Calvary. And unlike Israel, this was a faithful, the faithful son, the one who was tried and found to be perfect. The one who tasted death and in tasting death brings many sons and daughters to glory. You see, John, John's gospel begins by saying to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And now this son, risen in glory. His call goes out to the ends of the earth and all who believe on his name, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus are saved, are united to him and are adopted into the family of God and reconstituted in Christ into the new and true Israel of God. So what is the name of his son? For us, as we read it today, what does our answer? His name is Jesus Christ. And all who belong to him by faith are included in his sonship. By faith, the Lord Christ gives, gives to us the gift of eternal life. And that gift of eternal life is a gift of knowledge. Eternal life, he says, is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ who was sent for our salvation. In, here in, in step four, Agar shows how to attain to the knowledge of the Holy One. It comes through belonging to God through faith in his son. So consider this path to knowing. Step one, we confess we cannot work it out by ourselves. Step two, we confess that we don't know everything so we can be sure of nothing. Step three, we confess that the one who does know all things is the Lord. Step four, we confess we are his children. This is the great love of God John 3 how great is the love of God that we should be called children of God and that is what we are that is what we are what is the name of his son you write your name in there through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ but that means that in, in Exodus 4 when 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 the Lord God said to Moses you go to Pharaoh and you say to Pharaoh this is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son and I told you let my son go well now it means that in Christ 
In Christ, the great I am bellows to the forces of darkness. He cries out to the prince of this world and to the vice of sin that grips onto wicked souls. He says, this is my firstborn son. All those who belong to Christ are my firstborn, my chosen, my precious, my dearly loved. And I tell you, says the I am, let my son go. It's what the great I am declared when the son, the Christ, was in the jaws of death. He said, let my son go and death could not hold him. And he keeps speaking those words over his people. Let my son go. He speaks it over your sin ruined hearts. He says, you are my dearly loved son. In Christ, I channel the full force of my love to you. In Christ, I cover my sin. In Christ, there is now no condemnation. Let my son go. He will speak this over every twist and turn in your life. He will speak it over every stumble, every trap, every sorrow. He will say, let my son go. And then when it's our turn to be laid in the dust. And death chomps its jaws around us again he will say let my son go and we'll be with him and then on the final day he will say again let my son go and our bodies will rise to immortality into imperishable bliss wrapped up in our father's embrace what is the name of his son name is Christ the Lord Jesus and all the children God has given him and as we believe on him that's you and that's me what is his name his name is Jesus and all who belong to him and then step five verses five and six the final stage of Agur's testimony the last step on the path to knowing he says every word of God is flawless He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. You notice that these steps on this path to knowing are their steps downwards, really. It's a process of humility, humility that requires us to admit we don't know. We can't know. We we must be told. It's why I love the awesome cutlery song that we've sung a few times at Kingfisher that says, I want to know who I am, so I'll listen to you. You're God and you tell me what's true. All the world tells us we discover ourselves by looking inside, that we, we find ourselves by what we feel to be right. And it's unsustainable and it's wearisome. But God has spoken and his words are written in the scriptures. And what verse five does, Agur quotes from Psalm 18 and verse 13. Every word of God is flawless. Of course it is, because he's the great I am. He's flawless. He is unimprovable. He's the most, so his word cannot be faulted. And and so we apply it. Every word of God is flawless. What does it mean to take him at his word? Verse 5, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. We take refuge in the Lord by committing ourselves to his word. As Proverbs 3 says, we don't trust our own understanding. We trust the Lord and his understanding as it's revealed to us in his word. That's where we find our refuge. Uh, And then verse 6 quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4 and verse 2. Do not add to his words. It's important to hear that warning. 
Now, the person who claims that they trust in the Lord, but they don't care much to hear and obey his word. Or the person who is not saying, well, what does the Lord say in the word? That person doesn't trust the Lord. The word of God isn't to be added to. It's not to be revised. It's not to be diluted to suit the taste of the world around us. It's not to be adapted to be more acceptable to what we want. The word of God is to be received. It's the word of God. It's flawless. It's to be submitted to because it is the flawless revelation of God who is all knowing, all seeing, all being almighty. If we don't take refuge in him. As he reveals himself in his word. Then there is no other shield of protection. There's no other. Don't add to his words. Now this path to knowing. Step one, we confess we can't work it out by ourselves. Step two, we confess we don't know everything so we can be sure of nothing. Step three, we confess that the one who does know all things is the Lord. Step four, we confess we are his children. Oh, we take hold of Christ by faith and receive that gift of adoption. What, what is the name of his son? Me and you. Through faith in Christ. Step five, we humbly trust ourselves to the word of God. That's Agur's testimony. And you say, well, so what? No, no, what does that look like on a Monday morning? How how do we play it out day to day? Well, well, that Agur helps us again in in verses 7 and 7 to 9. In in verses 7 to 9, he does something we've not yet seen in the book of Proverbs. He prays directly to God. And next time we will explore that prayer. We will uh, see especially how it applies to our everyday. But as we come to a conclusion today, you remember, friends, like Agar, we are dying. Sooner or later, we're going to meet our end. Now, how do we do the ordinary in light of the inevitable? Well, well Agar's testimony pushes us to look each day beyond ourselves. Each day, every day of our life on earth, the most important thing that day is how we relate to the Lord our God. Knowing is first about relationship. And that relationship gets eked out in how we deal with the scriptures, that flawless, unimprovable, that is the sufficient revelation of God so that we might know him day by day as our shield and refuge. So so as we come to a close in this kind of end of part one, Um, I want to invite you to join me in praying through Aga's testimony for ourselves, just to take each of those five steps and to pray. Let me lead us as we pray, um, as we seek to make this this true for ourselves. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, please would you help us to learn from Aga's testimony. Our God in heaven, we confess to you that we cannot work out life for ourselves lord that all of our attempts to 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 build up our own understanding of the world are are futile and they will only weary us and perhaps some of us feel that wearisomeness of trying to make sense of life well please forgive us our god in heaven we confess secondly that we don't know everything lord i pray you'd help those great questions to shape the way that we think who are we lord in this world Lord, we are so small and finite and uh, dependable lord please take away any illusion of our independence any illusion that we can somehow master the mysteries of the universe by ourselves but lord god we step three we confess 
Oh, Lord, we confess that we know your name. Oh, we confess we know it only because you've revealed it to us. And when, when the question says, surely you know, Lord, it's only because you've made that plain and clear to us by your spirit. The, the only way our hearts can respond with any conviction and say, the Lord God, that is his name. The great I am It's only because your spirit reveals that to us from heaven. But Lord, for those of us who know, we praise you for that revelation. And we praise you even more, Lord, that the name of, of your great son is the Lord Jesus, who is the true Israel. And in whom, as we put faith in him, we too are made your children. We're declared to be your sons and have that wonderful status of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ before you, our great heavenly father. Praise you for the grace of our adoption. Praise you for that great assurance of your fierce love for us to declare that we, your children, will be released from all the sin and sorrow of this world and brought into eternity with you. And then, Lord, finally, we ask that you'd help us to humbly trust ourselves to your word. We praise you for your word, your flawless word, your unimprovable word. But please, would you help us to submit to what you say in your word? And not to add to it, not to change it or twist it, but to receive it. And as we do, to find refuge in you. Lord, please teach us these things. And please help us as we come next week to look more into the application. Amen. There we go. That's um, part one, Proverbs 31 to 9. And next week we will have a look at Agur's prayer. May the Lord bless you.